Hello, this is the Black and Asian Therapist Network podcast. I'm Eugene Ellis. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in the internal psychological world from a Black and Asian perspective. This is the second of two talks given by leading therapists in the field that were given at the Barton Conference in April 2014. In the last podcast, we heard from Zenobia Nadashaw, who talked about therapeutic practice in a multicultural society. And in this podcast, we will hear from Dennis Carney, whose talk is entitled Challenging Homophobia in the Therapy Room. Dennis has been running courses around equality and diversity for the last 24 years, with a focus on black, gay and bisexual men. He has also appeared in the recent Channel 4 documentary, Reggae, Trainers and Olympics, which explored the role of dancehall music and homophobia, and was also an official spokesperson for the Stop Murder music campaign. In his talk, he looks at homophobia and its effects on the LGBT community, and also the heterosexual community, which is often the part of the community that gets ignored when looking at homophobia. He also looks at the effects of homophobia on black and Asian LGBT communities. He brings our attention to the consensus statement on reparative therapy treatments, put forward by the UK Council of Psychotherapy, the British Association of Counselling and Psychotherapy, the British Psychological Society and the Royal College of Psychiatrists, and invites us to find ways to challenge homophobia and our responsibility in this in terms of the personal and the political. Here is Dennis Carney. Okay, I'd like to um, introduce Dennis Carney. We've known each other for a, a while, certainly since these conferences started to happen. And um, I mean, I've always been um, impressed by his commitment, his craft in terms of supporting and running groups, and also his ability to communicate, you know, and to, and to interact. Dennis has been very active in uh, creating group spaces aimed at black, gay, and bisexual men to explore themes around identity. This work has been very successful, uh, resulting in Dennis receiving a Black LGBT Community Award in recognition of his work with black gay men in 2003 and 2006. You can now see Dennis in action on video because he was the therapist in one of the first Black Men on the Couch uh, videos. And those videos, you can, if you go to the Barton website, you can get to see links to all of the Black Men on the Couch. And if that wasn't all, um, he's also part of the leadership team at Barton as well. So a warm welcome then to Dennis. Good afternoon, everyone. Hello. Obviously, I'm going to have to say that again. Good afternoon, everyone. See, see, see how much better that sounds? Hi, uh, my name's Dennis, and I've been invited to here today to talk to you about uh, challenging homophobia in the therapy room. So I guess what makes me qualified to stand up here and talk to you about this issue? Well, I've been running courses around equality and diversity for about the last 24 years. I worked for eight years as a paid member of staff at PACE, which is a leading mental health charity in London, uh, aimed at providing services to the LGBT community here. And I ran groups aimed at gay and bisexual men, and I had a specific remit to develop interventions aimed at black, gay and bisexual men. For five years, I was the chair of Stonewall Housing Association, which was a housing association that provides 
accommodation to people who had been thrown out of their family home because of their sexuality. I was also the chair of the Black Lesbian and Gay Centre project, which was the first... Did you know that this country has the only black, lesbian and gay centre in the history of the world? Yeah. And there is a film coming out next year. It's called Right Under Your Nose. And the reason why it's called Right Under Your Nose is because the centre was in Peckham, of all places. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I used to be the chair of that uh, group back in the 80s. And I also deliver a small personal development practice primarily aimed at uh, gay and bisexual men. So that's a little bit about me, and you'll find out more as we go through uh, our session this afternoon. So, challenging homophobia in the therapy room. Recently, there have been a wide range of legislative changes in the UK aimed at ending discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation, both in employment, service provision, and the adoption of children. Given the recent introduction of gay marriage in the UK, Europe, and USA, and the seemingly increasing profile of people who are lesbian and gay in all forms of media and society at large, homophobia still exists and continues to negatively impact the lives of LGBT people uh, throughout the world. In most parts of Africa, India, and throughout the Caribbean today, homosexuality is still illegal, with some countries currently introducing new laws that aim to imprison people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. So what role does all this play in the therapy room? Well, this session assumes that the more aware we are of the particular issues affecting people who are lesbian or gay, the more able you will be to work successfully when challenging heterosexism, and I'll tell you what that means in a moment, um, and homophobia inside and outside the therapy room. So the content of my talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about definitions so we're clear around the language around this topic. I'm going to look at homophobia and its effects, and I think one of the things I'm going to focus on is... Uh, the impacts of homophobia on heterosexual people, which I think often gets lost in the debates around homophobia. I'm going to spend a little time looking at the challenges facing black and Asian LGBT communities. I've got the BACP statement of ethical practice. They made a recent statement uh, concerning reparative therapy treatments, and we'll look at that. Uh, values of counselling and psychotherapy, which I'm sure you're all aware of and challenging homophobia, which I think is really important around our responsibility in terms of the personal and the political. So, I guess many of you probably haven't seen an image like this before, uh, with two men celebrating uh, their marriage, two black men celebrating their marriage. And I guess the, one of the reasons why I put this up here is because I run a personal development group uh, on a counselling course and one of the students uh, in that course is, uh, in the group, sorry, is gay. And he refers to his partner as husband. And every time he refers to his partner as husband, I kind of go, did I just hear what I just heard? And as a gay man who has been out uh, for, what, over 30 years, even I find that statement a bit of a challenge. 
And I guess one of the reasons why I find it a bit of a challenge is because we're moving into a new age where, you know, when I was growing up in the 60s, I know I don't look old enough, but it's true. Um, yeah, when I was growing up in the 60s... Thank you so much. Yeah, when I was growing up in the 60s, I never, ever, ever imagined I would see the day when it would be legal for me to marry the man that I love. And I think that four-letter word often gets lost in the debates around sexuality and homophobia because, for me, it wasn't sex that brought my awareness to my sexuality. It was another word. It was a four-letter word, and that word is love. To think about definitions, I'm just, I mean, a lot of these words you're going to be familiar with anyway, I'm imagining. Um, I'm in a room full of intelligent black people, so... Homosexual and homosexuality, these are terms used historically to refer to anyone of the same-sex preference. Bisexual is somebody who's attracted to both men and women. A lesbian is a woman who forms sexual relationships with a woman. Transsexual. Now, transsexual is a person who feels a consistent and overwhelming desire to fulfill their lives as members of the opposite gender. That's very different to the word trans... No. Well done. Transvestite, yes. And a transvestite is somebody who just likes to dress up in the clothes of the opposite gender rather than living their life in the opposite gender. Heterosexism. Some of you may not have heard of this word before, but the next time you hear it, you can say, I know what that means because Dennis told me. And heterosexism is the institutional and individual assumption that everyone is heterosexual and heterosexuality is inherently superior to and preferable to homosexuality or bisexuality. So that's what heterosexism means. Homophobia is the irrational fear or hatred of, aversion to or discrimination against homosexuals or homosexual behaviour. And I guess the track that I was playing earlier is a perfect example of homophobia and irrational fear. And whenever I hear the word fear, I'm always reminded of an acronym I heard a few years ago, and it goes like this. Fear stands for false evidence appearing real. And the reason why I share that with you is because I know from my own true life and lived experience is that every single fear that I have ever confronted has never once, not once, been anything like the fear I imagined in my own mind, not once. Internalised homophobia is the experience of aversion or self-hatred in reaction to one's own feelings of same-sex attraction. And given what I was saying earlier about the work I've done at Pace, I have seen this play itself out in lots and lots of ways many, 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 many times. Prejudice, I'm sure you've all heard of this word, is the negative attitudes and beliefs held about a particular group without adequate basis in fact or experience. Can anybody give me an example of prejudice that fits within this definition? All gay men are camp. All gay men are camp? Mm-hmm. Only you? No, no, no. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Or all women can't drive? when the insurance industry has been doing research on this very issue for many years, and what they have found consistently is that women are much, much, much safer drivers than men are. Moving on to think about homophobia. And I think this is, you know, even with Graham Norton on the television every Friday night, even with Elton John and his partner on the front page of The Sun with their adopted baby. Still, 
homophobia is a true lived experience for lots and lots and lots of people like me in the world. And homophobia is like racism and anti-Semitism and other forms of bigotry in that it seeks to dehumanize a large group of people, to deny their humanity, their dignity and personhood. And that's a woman called Carotta Scott King who said that. Coretta, sorry, thank you. Who is she? Well done, well done, well done, well done. You know, because often on other training courses where I run this, they don't know who she is. And I'm always gobsmacked at that. But anyway, moving on. So, homophobia. A common uh, stereotype about lesbians and gay men is that they're sick, perverted, and unnatural. Black and Asian LGBT people suffer from the white man's disease. Well, it wasn't a white man that I first met, trust me on this. <laughs> gay men and lesbians molest children. And I think that's had a direct impact on my life in that my niece, who is now at university, uh, because she's got uh, 12 A-levels or something like that. I'm so proud of my niece. <laughs> anyway, when she was born, though, I never, ever left myself alone with her until she could speak. And the reason why I did that was because if anybody asked her, what did your uncle do with you? She would be able to say, my uncle played with me and he's fantastic. That's why I didn't put myself, because I didn't want my family or friends to say anything about me molesting her. Because the common stereotype is that we molest children. And so that directly impacted my relationship with my own family member. Homosexuality can be cured because it's just a lifestyle. Well, when I was five years old, I never forget being in the school playground playing kiss a girl, chase a girl, and guess who I was chasing? Not the girls. Yeah? And the idea that some, something like that could be cured, and it's just a lifestyle, I think, is another example of homophobia. Lesbian and gay relationships don't last. Well, given the 50%, um, what's the divorce rate again for heterosexuals? Anyway, uh, a lesbian would want to have sex with any woman she could. Homosexuality primarily affects white, able-bodied young people. Well, I'm living proof that that's not the case. Lesbians and gay men are always flaunting their sexuality. Lesbians look like men. Gay men want to be women. All gay men are sexually promiscuous. We live in a city with the largest and longest a piece of research into the sex lives of gay men and it's been running for over 15 years and what they have found from that survey is that over 55% of gay men are actually in a relationship, not chasing everything in pants. Lesbians and gay men and bisexuals could choose to become heterosexual. Any woman who thinks she is a lesbian just hasn't met the right one man yet. Uh, there aren't many BME LGBT people, and they all lead lonely lives. You need to go to Vauxhall on the last Friday of every month to go to Bootylicious to find out that that's not true. Okay. Oh, and homosexuality doesn't exist in Africa. How many of you know that Shaka Zulu, one of Africa's greatest heroes, also had a harem of boys? Mm, not many of you, I bet but it's true. 
And despite all of those hateful things that are said about lesbian and gay people, it's important to remember that we are also daughters, sons, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, cousins, grandparents, uncles, aunts, in-laws, foster parents, adopted parents, carers, cared for, friends, and workmates. Those things are true. The effects of homophobia on LGBT people can lead to depression, fear, anxiety, shame, self-hatred, alienation, isolation. And that can lead to mistrust, low self-esteem, excessive self-consciousness, believing the stereotypes. So, you know, the only image they see of a gay man, for example, is Graham Norton on the television being camp. That's the way to be gay. Or you might be black or Asian and look at that and think, that's got nothing to, what's that got to do with me, yeah? I don't relate to that image. But a lot of people will believe the stereotype and then act it out. This fear of being with children, as I ha highlighted for myself. Uh, this relationship and family problems. I mentioned earlier that I was the chair of Stonewall Housing Association and that provided accommodation for young people up to the age of 25. And consistently, whenever we did our stats on who we housed, over 60% of the residents were black, over 60%. And I always find that really, really difficult to think that the black people kicking their children out on the street simply because they are lesbian or gay. And no surprise, a lot of lesbians and gay men have suicidal thoughts. In fact, uh, just two months ago, there was a research report launched that confirms what's been said for at least the last 20 years, that even with all the progress that's been made around uh, LGBT equality over the recent times, still young lesbians and gay men are the group at highest risk of suicide than any other social group in the UK. And that can often sometimes lead to drug and alcohol misuse. If you want to find the best drugs, ask a gay man. Oh, no, I didn't say that. Yeah. And this isn't me saying this. This comes from uh, research from PACE called Diagnosis Homophobic. If you want a copy of the report, if you visit their website, you should be able to download a free copy of it. And I mentioned earlier um, that we don't really focus on the effects of homophobia on heterosexual people. Well, here we go. This fear of being associated with LGBT people, this fear of being close to people of the same gender, the fear that maybe if I'm close to that person, people are going to call me a lesbian or gay. There's anxiety if feelings of attraction are aroused by someone of the same sex as they do for virtually everyone at some time. Didn't what's her name come out about that recently? What's her name, the one with the blonde hair? Cameron Diaz. Yeah. There's timidity about self-exploration or exploration of a wide range of different human relationships. The idea that human beings have been on this planet for millions and years and it's just a man and a woman and that's the only kind of relationship that's possible is a bit stupid in my opinion. And it may cause people to act in a prejudiced or discriminatory way and that's not really good for the human soul now, is it? And we all know that, I'm imagining. And again, that comes from diagnosis homophobic. So, challenges facing black and Asian LGBT communities. Uh, there's the impact of racism in general and within the wider lesbian and gay community. So the idea, I think one of the first lessons I learnt 
when I came out when I was 18, um, was that I walked into my first gay venue and I was told, you do know this is a gay pub, mate. So what do you want me to do? You want me to kiss you to prove that I'm gay? The amount of times I have been stopped at mainstream gay venues questioning my right to enter and my sexuality, I have lost count. So the idea that because you're lesbian and gay and understand oppression, that you're going to understand the oppression of others is, um, I don't know, I wonder about that. The impact of homophobia in general and within black and Asian communities, specifically, uh, this pressure to conform to a wide range of religious, cultural, and community norms, this poor sexual health education, increasing stigma and shame, particularly with being HIV positive. So that's the challenges facing uh, LGBT people. Oh, no, there's more, sorry. Uh, there's limited social spaces, support groups, venues, organizations providing services aimed at black and Asian LGBT communities. And, and that always pisses me off. I've been paying my taxes for the last 34 years, and still in this country there is not one government-funded organization or service aimed at black or Asian LGBT people. There's invisibility of black and Asian LGBT people in advertising media campaigns, particularly in black and Asian and gay media. I was uh, on a cohort of a piece of research that was done into looking at the images of black gay men in the gay press about seven years ago, and the five images, if I can remember them all, that we could find was a man in drag, a man selling sex, a man naked with a huge you-know-what, um, a man in a mixed relationship, and there were no black gay couples, not one. And we looked at those, that press, over the uh, a month period. And, I, I, and, and that was seven years ago, and I can guarantee if you picked up the gay media today, you would find the same thing, no different. So we're invisible. In fact, I, I, I must tell this other story because I love it. I was sat on my sofa one time, and uh, the mail came through. I went downstairs, I picked up the mail, and it was this nice, glossy brochure from DFS. Have you heard of DFS, the furniture store? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm flicking through it, and flicking through it, flicking through it. I get to near the back page, and there's two black men looking lovingly into each other's eyes near the back page. Well, I nearly fell off my sofa. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, because it was the first time I'd ever seen that. The impact of Jamaican dance or murder music on identity, self-esteem, and emotional well-being. Um, I went to Jamaica when I was, the first time I went to Jamaica, which is where my parents are from, when I was 20. Um, and I made the mistake of going there with my hair in cane row. 25 years ago, that was not cool. And I had to be chaperoned everywhere. Uh, for, and I'd get verbal abuse for the most part. And then I went back 20 years later. And as you know, I um, won awards. I've been out as an activist around uh, black gay issues for many, many years. And whilst I was there, I was there for a month. And I didn't come out to a single person the whole time I was there, apart from the people who knew me. And the reason why I didn't do that was because I was in fear of my life. And the difference in between those periods was dancehall music. And I visited JFLAG, which is a uh, lesbian and gay charity in Jamaica. And on the wall in their offices, and the wall's about this big, 
plastered with photographs of injuries sustained from homophobic attacks. Machete wounds, gunshot wounds, you name it, all plastered on there. And when I saw that, I never forget, I said, I am not going to stop breathing until we put a stop to this music. And I am pleased to report, I was the official spokesperson for that campaign, and I'm pleased to report that the track that I played earlier, you could not hear that on any British radio station today. Whereas when we started that campaign, it was even played on Radio 1. Black and Asian LGBT people are more likely to be victims of hate crime, uh, from, and that's from Gallup. Some of you may not have heard of Gallup. Gallup is a charity that... Uh, focuses on uh, supporting victims of violence who are lesbian or gay. LGBT History Month. Can anybody in this room who is not LGB or T tell me when LGBT History Month is? Well done. BACP Statement of Ethical Practice. British Association for Counseling and Psychotherapy is dedicated to social diversity, equality, and inclusivity of treatment without discrimination of any kind. That's what BSEP say. They oppose any psychological treatment such as reparative or conversion therapy, which is based upon the assumption that homosexuality is a mental disorder or based on the premise that the client-patient should change his or her sexuality. BACP recognises uh, PAHO and WHO 2012 recent position statement that practices such as conversion or reparative therapies have no medical indication and represent a severe threat to the health and human rights of the affected persons. thought uh, it would be good to put that up there just so everybody's clear about what the BACP position is on these areas. One is gay, if that bothers you, our work continues. That's the latest campaign slogan from Stonewall. If you haven't heard of Stonewall, Stonewall is uh, the UK's uh, campaign organisation aimed at uh, lesbian and gay people. Values. I think values are important when we're talking about this area. And in terms of values of counselling and psychotherapy, the thing I know, and I'm sure many of you know, is it's important to respect human rights and dignity. Protecting the safety of clients is also important. Ensuring the integrity of practitioner and client relationships is also key. Enhancing the quality of professional knowledge and its implication. So today you're enhancing your professional knowledge and its application by listening to me talk for the last half an hour and alleviating personal distress and suffering, hopefully aiming to increase personal effectiveness. Challenging homophobia. I hate the word homophobia. It's not a phobia. You're not scared. You're an asshole. And that's not me saying that. That's from Morgan Freeman. When the history books are written about the fifth of April 2014. I don't want the history books to only record that lesbians and gay people who are from black and Asian backgrounds only experience discrimination, hatred, 
violence, victimization, alienation, isolation. What I want the history books to record is that there were black and Asian therapists and counselors who were sat in a room focused on and committed to making a positive difference in the lives of LGBT people. That's what I want the history books to record. Thank you so much. That was Dennis Carney giving a talk on challenging homophobia in the therapy room at the 2014 Barton Conference. There is a training happening on the 20th and the 21st of September 2014 in London. If you want to attend, find out more about Barton or send a comment about the podcast or anything else, you can email me, eugene at barton.org.uk or visit us at our website, www.baatn.org.uk. I hope you can join me for the next podcast, but until then, goodbye.